G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life and those in life chat music and more. I'm John Merch and welcome to episode three of season three of the show. Before we head into our feature guests for today, two huge guests we've already had this season, including former High Five member Nathan Foley speaking about his solo career, and we headed to Nashville to speak with Royal South Sarah Beth and Glenn. Speaking about country music, there's been a lot of correspondence about the young artist Emily Hatton. I'll have some details in the show notes about where they're at and when their new self-titled, I believe, EP is released. You'll find some details there as well. But for now, let's head to our feature guest for today. Don McLean. A long, long time ago, that being 50 years back, American Pie was released, an album that featured a title track that is held very fondly in many people's hearts. February 2021, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame will shine with their name. Latest album is still playing the favourites, which together with re-released digital albums from their back catalogue will be coming out through Time Life. From his home, Mr McLean joined us for this chat that happened to also be the morning of the American 2020 elections. Don McLean, welcome to Radio Notes. Well, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I've always enjoyed my many, many tours of Australia. I love the country and uh, I hope I'll be able to come back. Speaking about your affections of Australia, one of the things I was hoping to do a number of years ago, and I guess now is my chance to have a chat with you about briefly, is the fantastic record from 2018 called Botanical Gardens that I believe started from some walks around the Sydney Opera House or at least the Royal Botanic Gardens nearby. Yes. I forget the hotel I was at, but it was a very nice hotel and it was up on the the hill and I would walk down the hill toward the Sydney Opera House and of course the gardens are off to the to the right also on the way down there I think there was an auto club uh it's a private club for auto enthusiasts and um so I like to visit some of these clubs in different countries because I have a membership in one of them in the United States and so I checked that out and then I would walk down and take a long walk through the the gardens, and uh, it really is like heaven there. Australia has a a vibration about it that's, of course, unlike any place else on Earth. I mean, I mean, every place has a vibration, you know. But I think if you were to go to Russia or some of these countries, it's sort of dark and forbidding and everything and foreboding. Uh, Australia is light and sunny and the animals and the, are there, and the, there's so many extinct animals in Australia and New Zealand that are still alive, and um, and the people are very happy to be alive. They're they party a lot. They they're, ha- they're smiling usually. They they don't really have time for for downers. Uh, you don't really find too many Australian downers. They're they're up upbeat people. The record itself, I was so inspired by how uplifting it was. And in one of the recent interviews I checked out, you said one of the underrated numbers of yours is called Ain't She a Honey. So I'd like to ask you, what's so special about that very song off Botanical Gardens? It's the theme song of the whole album because it's heaven. 
It's like I've died and gone to heaven because I've left behind the canyons of steel and the darkness of the city. And I mean, cities are great for shopping and eating, but I wouldn't want to live in one. Although I wouldn't mind living in Sydney because it's so bright. And as I say, all those other reasons I just gave you, it's one of the few cities I would enjoy living in. You're more than welcome to come to Adelaide with this world tour that you're doing in 2021, which is a little bit further down south. I I like Adelaide too. I like all the cities along the coast and I like Perth very much. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm saying to myself, this song sets the tone for the whole album. And it's thinking back on on your youth and on love and passion and desire and the future is ahead of you and all those things that ebb away as you get older and you try to cling on to. So then you have to decide, you know, do I want to go back to the world? In other words, it's almost like you've died and do I, do I want to be saved and brought back? You know, they have these people that talk about these out of body experiences and some of them say, I wish I hadn't been brought back and some tell about this. But anyway, that's the tone for all the songs that follow. And the first two tracks for that album, You've Got Such Beautiful Eyes and Lucky Guy were the first two cuts. What was it about those two tracks that you felt there was going to be a full album, which was released in 2018? Well, I just felt that I don't know how I write these things. Honestly, I just don't. I have these moments of clear sailing in my head where I know where I'm headed and I just do it. And then there are other times when I can't put two words together. So I'm, I'm really not a professional songwriter, although I've been known to write songs that people know, and I've written many songs that people know, but it almost comes in on my radio somehow. And um, I wanted to write a swingy kind of a 40s or 50s or 30s song, you know, back well, you could hear a swing orchestra do that, that performance, that song. And that's how it turned out. And I'm very happy with it, to tell you the truth. You know, because the power of women, uh, like in the middle, it says, uh, you know, she can make you leave your friends, <laughs> leave your family, leave everything, you know, because of those eyes. <laughs> Then with Ain't She a Honey, which, uh, you know, she spends all the money I got. And I just get the feeling of you don't really care. It's just money. You're with this beautiful person and it's all about them. It's not about the money. You know, it's just that song is is the most remarkable song on the record to me. And that recording is the most remarkable, one of the most remarkable ones I've ever made because it was done live. And Vip Dipperman is my guitarist, and he's playing slide guitar. But the verses, you know, ain't she a ripper with a buckle and a zipper? She's hot, you know. (laughs) You know, it's just like it's just exactly what I'm trying to to talk about losing in botanical gardens, that sense of wonder at women and love and romance and fun and... And it's a lot of what Australia has, the harmony. There's a a harmonious sense that I get when I go there that people, you know, you were always at least 10 years behind the times in the old days. You're in your own world and 
people would come who had been famous 10 years before and be treated like they were the Beatles, you know. And I remember being told this, you know, back in the 1970s. I, and I said, well, I want to start going there now. I want to see this place. And it was a lot smaller and it was a lot less big city. It grew very fast over the 50 years that I would tour there. I would see these cities like Perth is humongous now. And really, when I went over there first, it was a beautiful, uh, you know, country town and places in New Zealand that used to be quaint and now have these glass and steel buildings that have been thrown up, changing the character and, and moving every, the, everybody into the the mainstream more. Everybody's right on top of everything now. You know, there's no gap. And I think it's a good thing when people are not in the mainstream and they can have their own little private happiness, which you don't get when you're immediately hooked up now to the internet where every damn little thing, you know, is taking away your time. You don't have the concentration to be gentle and to be thoughtful and to be civilized and and to have a good time with your mates, you know, and to go, you know, have a barbecue down by the beach and all the things that you people do. And that I, like, I've tried to recapture that where I live in California. I live in the desert. It reminds me of Australia. I like the sun. Obviously, with the sun comes the danger of bushfires as well, which you, you've had there recently in 2020. As someone who's had, I believe, asthma since a young child, the recent bushfires that have been occurring, which we also get here in Australia, would have seen a lot of smoke. And there's also been other pandemics that have been occurring across the world as well. I'm just wondering how you're dealing with that, how, how you're coping with that. Well, I'm coping with it incredibly well. I am very happy. I feel like I'm enjoying retirement for a while, and yet I'm fully ready to go traveling again and start singing whatever schedule I can sing at whatever time it happens in the next few years. I like being flexible in my thinking. I'm doing a whole lot of other things now that I would not have been doing if I was always busy going every two or three days on the road away for a few days, which has been my schedule for 50 years. Uh, As far as fires that have been here, they have affected my breathing somewhat. Mm. I am allergic to smoke. And, and so there are, there's smoke and particulate matter in the air here sometimes. But I don't take drugs or anything for any kind of little asthma attack that I might have. I just take a little bronchade, a tablet once in a while. And I try to keep the drugs away from that stuff. Because I think that you know, what you need to do, if you can, is get away from the thing that's irritating you. And when I grew up, I was made sick by the fact that I lived in a tiny house with my grandmother, sister, mother, and father, four grown-ups who all smoked all day and never opened the windows. That was really the problem. Hi, I'm Bridget Bardini. My brand new single, Aphrodite, is out now. I'm coming up on Radio Notes. What is it about horses that Dom McLean must have them in his life. Uh, you're talking about horses, equines? Yeah, as in the ones that you ride in a Western style, the three that you've uh, trained. Yeah. I've had horses who've been the best friends I've ever had. I've had the best 
experiences I've ever had with a few horses that I owned. And I look back and I remember them like they were people. And we did so many things together that only the two of us know about going in the woods and following deer trails and having all kinds of adventures. I love that. And I think that's been the, one of the best things in my entire life, more so around people. People always seem to take back some of what they give. And so I've always enjoyed the honesty of a good relationship. We're in a bad relationship where the horse is honest, you know, and you learn something. One of the things that you do learn is patience. And, you know, you realize that uh, you have to have patience. And But once you get your mind in sync with the animal that you're always involved with, it's a remarkable thing because you're riding him. You're not walking him like you do a dog and you're not petting him like you do a cat. You're sitting on him. And if he decides to take off, you're moving at the speed of the wind. You're in a primal, it's a primal experience. Like you're on the back of some, you know, beast that loves you and is taking care of you too. So it's really quite an experience. It's that mutual respect. Is that what you're talking about? Well, yes, but you know, you have to realize that that the horse would much rather be out grazing and running free. He doesn't really want you on his back. Mm. He doesn't really want to be pulling a wagon. He doesn't really want to be in a rodeo. You know, he wants to be out running. They can run 100 miles a day, and they can eat on the run. If you see some of the great wild horses out west. And today, it's so nasty because they herd him with helicopters. Boy, I hate that. If you're going to herd some horses, go out on horseback and do it, you know, like a man, instead of getting... It's so unfair to do that, you know, scare the hell out of them, you know, with a helicopter and they run. You know, it's interesting. A group of animals, whether it's cows or horses, have to learn to be a herd. They don't always want to be in the herd. And there's some that run off and they just would prefer to be on their own. I suppose I'm one of those, I guess. In this year of 2021, you will be hitting the road for what is the 50th anniversary of what's been classed one of your greatest albums and, of course, one of the most popular songs. And there's plenty of interviews that you've done over the years about it. I'm not going to ask you what the song's about, but I want to ask you about Paul Griffin's work on the piano. And my understanding is he started with a yeah. pol- he started with a polka, you taught him a guitar part, and then he got it right. Can you talk to us about the piano part that Paul Griffin yeah. brought to this song? Well, I'd be happy to do that because for about three months, uh, or at least a month, I had been rehearsing with this group that ended up making the record, and Ed Freeman made the record. He did it and managed to make 8 minutes and 27 seconds uh, interesting. But they kept playing it, and it, it was awful, you know, it wasn't what I wanted. And I had a lot of trouble communicating with these musicians who were all very talented and very uh, seasoned, but I knew there was something missing. And Ed brought this piano player in. I think it was on the day of the session. I don't believe I had ever rehearsed with this guy before. I think we may have had other piano players. I said, these guys just don't cut it. You know, I'm not hearing what I want. So he gets this guy in who... He could play anything. Genius player. 
and they put my guitar in, and I'm singing live in the sound booth, bashing away on the guitar because I play the guitar hard. And he put that in his earphones. He started just jumping all over the song because the guitar was is kicking him in the ass, basically. And he starts playing this gospel piano. I said, man, that's it. That's what I'm after. And of course, all the other guys just followed into the groove. And uh, afterwards, he said, well, man, I heard that guitar in my ears and there was I just had to I just I was inspired. And so it was the two of us together. He felt the sincerity of my playing. I wasn't one thing about me is, uh, you know, what you see is what you get. And I don't like a lot of stuff. And when I like something, I really love it. So, um, you know, I was all over this song. He got right behind it and just made that record. I mean, he really did. I want to talk about something that you do love, that you're passionate about, that of architecture. Where was the first spark for Mm. architecture? That's a nice question. Thank you for asking that. Well, I lived in a little house in Nourishell, New York, on Mulberry Road, 15 Mulberry Road, Larchmont Woods, New York. And my mother and father were very, and there's a term called house proud, quote unquote. They loved their home. And my father was, uh, could do anything. He could fix the roof. He could paint the house. He did the electrical. He did the plumbing. He did the, you never know on a weekend, uh, my father would say, okay, come on, we're going to break this wall down and rebuild it. So that's what we do all weekend. You know, we're going to build some cabinets. He always had plans. He'd go up and prune the tree. One time he had a fell out of the tree and it hurt himself, but there's nothing he wouldn't tackle because he just loved the house. And my mother loved the house also, you know, I wanted this. She'd say, well, Don, can you do this for me or make some radiator covers or do this or that, make a, a nice mantelpiece in my, with a mirror and my father would do it. So I grew up that way. And I also had some friends who were very well off and they lived in huge houses because I was always sick. I was home a lot. I knew every square inch of my little house, basement, you name it. I, I knew it was behind the, you know, the furnace, for God's sakes. Yeah. I still remember it. You know, I was always exploring everywhere in there. So these guys had big houses, 10,000 square feet, you know, whatever they were, and gorgeous. And their parents were very well educated, and they had lovely furniture and everything. So I loved that and never having never realizing if I could ever have anything like that and little by little it grew and then I took a art history course at Iona College and the teacher was magnificent because he pointed out all of the various architectural features of the buildings on the campus you know which I had never noticed that this is gothic revival in this kind of column uh, you know a stopped fluted column or an ionic column or whatever and Palladian windows and pilasters and different things. And from then on, everywhere I went, I was seeing these things. So there was that. And then I bought my first house, which was this little farmhouse. And I was in there for 20 years, and and I loved that so much. I was near the woods. That's where I'd ride my horses up into the woods on the trails there. And I was in heaven. I mean, I really was. 
And then I moved into this, that was the farmhouse phase. And then I moved into what I might call the Gilded Age phase of Don McLean's architecture. Right. And, <laughs> and I had two houses in Maine, one in Castine, Maine, and one in Camden, Maine, which is about 175 acres. It's the size of a small village. And I have fixed up every single one of those buildings. I still own the place in Castine. They're both uh, Greek revival homes built around one in 1860 and then one in Camden in 1900, 1905, about there. And I've made those into uh, show places for antique furniture and rugs and all this. And I learned all about this through the years, trying to develop my eye uh, to have done that. And then now I'm out in California and I'm in love with mid-century modern architecture. And you can only find that really in Palm Springs and in this region, because this is uh, where it all happened. The, uh, a lot of the architects came out here in the 1930s and built, you know, one story, very simple homes. Everyone follows suit out here. Nobody builds any big houses. So it's very uh, homogenized, homogeneous, you might say. Um, so I'm in love with that. And that's, and that's, you know, your 57 Chevy and your Stratocaster and all that. Those are all from, it's a kind of a, a double whammy. It's a, a look to the future, which is, you know, live outdoors and minimum amount of uh, lots of glass and, and minimum amount of uh, height on the house and also in a sense almost like it's futuristic like uh, which is what the stratocaster design is supposed to be the future uh, always thinking about you know space travel in a way and it's look to the past which is you live like a desert rat basically you know um outside all the time and under the stars and all the stuff i like about australia that was 2018, that album, Botanical Gardens, that was inspired by the Sydney Royal Gardens. Are you someone who, when you do get back out on the road, start to write new material for a new record? I know you do take your time when it comes to writing material and recording, and that's a good thing. This next album, I'm making a new album. of I have most of a new album written already, new songs, and some things on here that are just Straight up rock and roll, uh, you know, like John Fogarty would do, really kick ass. And there's some other really nice things. And I have some more work to do. I'll be working on it throughout the next uh, six months or so, uh, if not longer, until I get something really, really nice. But I've got a lot of good stuff on here that's inspiring me now to finish the job, you see. And that's what happens. Because my understanding, it's the fun and excitement that gets the music out of you. It sounds like you're in a good place at the moment. I've already got some great stuff, which I didn't have uh, when I was making the American Pie album. I had some nice ballads, Vincent, Empty Chairs, you know, Sister Fatima, Crossroads, but I, I didn't have what I was looking for. And finally I got that with the American Pie song. And the funny thing was that it was hard going because I'd put everything into the first album, Tapestry. And all of a sudden, I had another album that was required, and I had these ballads, and it just wasn't what I wanted. So, But when I came up with this long song, it now made the album the right length, 
and it meant I could pull everything else that I had on it in a way toward this theme, which was American Pie. So everything, Babylon makes sense, The Grave makes sense, Sister Fatima makes sense, Everybody Loves Me makes sense. They all make sense because of the bigger song. And they didn't make sense before. This is the kind of stuff that goes on in my head, really. I can't really tell you how I'm, but I know right now that I've got a lot more than I've ever had for a new album. And I'm, and my mind is wide open thinking now about ideas for songs that are going to be a little bit more political, perhaps in an obtuse way. You know, I, I don't like writing a song about uh, politics or anything like that because it's very dated then. Well, absolutely. Even us talking today, by the end of today, you may or may not have a new president of the United States. But one thing that is decided is that American Pie, the song and the record, are an absolute classic. It's been a pleasure to speak to you, Don McLean. Thanks for your time. Well, I, I enjoyed talking to you very much. And I enjoyed your questions and your sensitivity. And uh, thank you for having me. Don McLean. For the latest on McLean's new music, tours and the 50th anniversary of American Pie at donmclean.com. Thank you, Mr. Don McLean, for being our feature guest. Next time, singer-songwriter Alex Lalo will join us. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. 